0: I'm back, and this is Hour 2 of Ariva Martin in Real Time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. And in this hour, we're going deep on the issue of housing inequality. Joining me in this hour is one of the nation's, or the nation's, leading expert on race and housing issues, Dr. Uh, Andre Perry, who is, at this moment, a senior fellow at Brookings Metro, and also in this hour, Faith Weeks, a community development advisor at the Federal Reserve of St. Louis, joins me. Welcome both Dr. Perry and Faith to the program Dr. Perry it's been a minute since you and I last talked so why don't you give us a sense of where we are uh in terms of the uh you know inequality between black and uh, white home ownership and this valuation issue this this undervaluing of black uh, homes in black neighborhoods that's causing us to lose a whopping one hundred fifty six billion dollars uh. Talk about that and also tell us why Joe Biden on Saturday night before four or five thousand people at the Congressional Black Caucus dinner gave you such a great shout out.
1: Yeah, Reva, uh, So always a pleasure to be with you and talk to you about these important issues. Um, and, and, and also just to remind folks that homeownership is not just vital to um, providing shelter it is the engine for so many other issues the way we fund policing um community services education is all predicated on housing now um most people look at the state of housing by examining the home ownership rate and although the home ownership rate has risen a, a little bit over the last um few years for Afri- for all races Um, The black home ownership generally is around 44 percent for um, African-Americans and is 30 uh, 30 points higher for white Americans. And that 30 point difference has been pretty consistent. Um, um, We know that uh, we're still around uh, the same rates as we were in the 60s when the Fair um, Housing Act was enacted. Um, And so we still have a significant ways to go. And I always um, put it in perspective for most of America's history. It was legal to segregate um, African-Americans. And and, and much of the subsidies um, that many white Americans enjoyed, um, particularly after the Great um, um, Depression, as part of the New Deal, um, African-Americans could not. But um, as it pertains to value, and this is where President Biden gave me a shout out, um, most people um, recognize my work by my examinations of looking at the um, value of homes in Black communities compared to those where the share of the Black population is is less than a percent. Now, without, I don't want to get too uh, uh, empirical here, but without controlling for, meaning attending to, statistically speaking, crime, education, things like that, the gap is about 50%, meaning um, homes on average across the country are valued about 50% less, 340000 compared to roughly 180000 for African-American homes. But um, a lot of people will say that's because of education, that's because of crime. But those mm-hmm. are things you control for in a study, and that's what we did. We control for education, we control for crime, we control for walkability, and all those fancy Zillow metrics. So we can get an apples to apples comparison between homes in Black neighborhoods and homes in White neighborhoods. And what we found pretty much astounds that homes in Black neighborhoods are underpriced after controlling for education and crime, all those things, still underpriced by 23%, about 48000 per home, cumulatively um, there's about one hundred and fifty six billion in lost equity in black neighborhoods. And this is what Biden um, um, repeated um, during his address um, at the Phoenix, Phoenix Ditter for the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation annual awards uh, or annual um, legislative caucus. And and I just want folks to, uh, to hear what that means, put it to put it in perspective. $156 billion would have financed more than 4 million Black-owned businesses based upon the average amount Black people used to start their firms. It would have paid for more than 8 million four-year degrees. It would have uh, re- um, replaced the pipes in Flint, Michigan 3,000 times over. It would have covered nearly all of Hurricane Katrina damage. It's, it's more than double the annual economic burden of the opioid crisis. It's a big number. and And I put that in perspective because when things go wrong in Black communities, Oftentimes we blame black people and we don't look at the the systems that extract wealth and opportunity every day without anyone wearing a a hood or carrying a tiki torch. Mm
2: -hmm. This is
1: why I say that there's nothing wrong with black people that ending racism can't solve. And so for me, I, you know, I'll close with that. These those stats, but it's not just about this appraisal gap. Just not about material wealth. It's about the having the tools to lift ourselves up by our proverbial rootstocks to get economic mobility, social mobility, um, and so we got to correct for these drags on um, our housing markets that rob individuals of wealth.
0: I, I want to get uh, Faith, and I've been uh, incorrectly stating her as Faith Weeks, and I my producer just told me it's Faith Weekly, so I apologize for that, Faith. But before I, I... I'll get you into this conversation Dr. Perry. So what did Biden say? He cited this yeah, number and then what did he say he's going to do about it if anything?
1: Yeah, he cited the numbers and then he also brought up the fact that um his administration through HUD instituted the property appraisal valuation equity task force. And it is a ta- uh, interagency task force that um last year issued about 23 um, executive actions um, to end appraisal bias. Now, a lot of those things are actually being um, implemented as we speak. Um, um, Secretary Marsha Fudge announced earlier this year um, that there is a new process to, to um, get a um, essentially a reassessment of, of your home value if you think that you are being lowballed. You, there is an, a new process so folks can get another appraisal, which was hard to come by, as many people know. Once that appraisal company issues that number, it's hard to come by. So we have that, um, and in addition, there is an effort to di- diversify appraisers. Now, I I I, I want to just put a a pen in that because yes, there is certainly a, a problem with the diversity of appraisers. Um, about ninety percent, ninety percent or more appraisers are white, seventy-five percent male. But with that said, with that said, um, it's really the price comparison model that's that's at the what's the problem, and and that for the for your listeners, it's the method used to establish value, you compare one home to another in a neighborhood to get a sense of average price. But why that's problematic for black communities if if you compare one home to another in a community that's been discriminated against, you effectively just recycle the discrimination over and over again. So you can be a black appraiser, you can be a Latino appraiser. If you're using the same practices, right. you're going to get the same result. And so that's why a lot of us work on structural racism and be, and 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 but it's but it's harder from a legal standpoint, as you know, that most of our tools on discrimination is is more about individual acts of discrimination. It's not about these acts that uh, uh, that go against entire communities. And so we, right, need- because
0: basically what you're saying is the community has not had the proper level of investment, and that's going to uh, not bode well in terms of using this formula and getting government or private industry to invest in these businesses could take uh, presumably decades, right. uh, if not longer. So let me Faith, jump in here. What is the Federal Reserve Bank doing other than raising interest rates and making it more difficult for people to buy homes? <laughs> Putting that aside, that's not you, so I'm not faulting you. But uh, what, what role does the bank play in addressing some of these inequalities?
2: Before I answer your question, I have to provide this disclaimer. The views I express in this interview are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. So um, there is a law called the Community Reinvestment Act that banks must um, basically serve all the needs of their customers, including those who are low to moderate income and the three regulatory agencies, the FDIC, the OCC and the Fed will be releasing CRA modernization more than likely um, in the last quarter of this year. And hopefully that update of the act will address some of the um, lending issues that um we we've seen with with banks. Okay.
0: And how can that, Dr. Perry, like what can regulations do? Because there are laws on the books already. They're anti-discrimination laws that already uh, exist in federal statute and most states. Uh, California has something called the UNRU Act. We have FIHA, we have other statutes. So you know what? What role, you know, can any kind of federal statute, statutory scheme, or regulatory scheme play in addressing these issues?
1: Well, we certainly have regulatory agencies and various acts. Um, the real estate industry is one in which a lot uh, of it regulates itself. I mean, I'll, I'll bring up appraising a again. If you looked at the uh, sort of uh, put this in air quotes, the accountability system for appraising. There's really not a a firm way to hold any one appraiser or uh, appraisal system accountable to these acts of discrimination writ large. I mean, you have the OCC, you have um, the appraisal institute, you have federal, state and local um, um, bodies, and it's really unclear. And then on on many of our tools, there's just simply not enough teeth. Um, as was mentioned, um, Faith mentioned the CRA. That was really a tool designed to incentivize banks to invest in communities. If, if they don't, and we've seen more and more banks literally move out of black communities at higher rates than other places, it's really hard to hold a bank accountable. Um, using that tool. I mean, we certainly... It's so help
0: our... me understand, Dr. Bayer. so the community, you know, the CRA, I've always thought design, was designed to invest in, you know, communities of color, Black communities, and you're saying it wasn't really designed to do that or to incentivize... No, no. Homeowners?
1: Is, but I would say it was more a tool to incentivize banks to invest in communities rather than to punish banks for not- oh, I see. Okay.
0: So there's right. not
1: a lot of teeth in it. So right, right, they right,
0: encourage right. you, but they don't really take action if you decide you don't want to do it.
1: And I know Faith want to jump in on that because you know, <laughs> that's really right. Go ahead, Faith.
2: Yeah. I mean, there are penalties when banks basically receive a, um, they they can receive a needs to improve or um, satisfactory, um, but that does Hurt their um, chances of being approved for basically if they want to um, acquire another financial institution. But I do want to say there is a tool under the uh, Equal Credit Opportunity Act, which is special purpose credit programs, and those were de- designed really to address the, you know, the um, the inequities in lending to those who have been basically historically um, marginalized in in, um, lending. So we do recognize that inequity is baked into our housing and finance systems. And that's why there really is a need to dismantle a lot of these traditional um, systems and build equitable financing tools. So, yes, what
0: system after, in particular, Faith, do you think needs to be dismantled?
2: Um, well, like credit scoring models, a lot of them favor, um, basically, white people. I mean, if you have limited credit, you know, most people of not most people, but there is a larger percentage of Black and Hispanic borrowers who might not have a traditional credit history. Right. Um. Just recently we know that Fannie Mae um, basically instituted their positive rental payment in terms of counting rent payments in um credit score and that seems like it's having a it's making a difference a positive difference. Hold that thought
0: uh, when we come forward we' going talk more about ways that the banking industry itself as well as other governmental Uh, bodies can have a positive impact on housing inequality and what this means, particularly for young college students who are graduating and hoping to get into the housing market. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580.
1: You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580.
0: We are back, and in this hour, we are talking about housing inequality and how it impacts not only the shelter uh, that Black folks have, but also the wealth gap. Uh, Dr. Andre, Andre Andre Perry is with us. He's a senior fellow at Brookings Metro and Faith Weekly. She's a community development advisor at the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. So, Dr. Perry, lots of I guess things are in our current regulatory uh, body, in our current statutory body, uh, as it relates to trying to incentivize, trying to prevent the discrimination of housing. But the numbers that you cited that the president also uh, gave during that speech on Saturday, we're not seeing a lot of change. And it's not like these laws are new. So a lot of these laws, a lot of these policies, a lot of these regulations have been in existence for a while. So if that is the case, why do we have this persistence of inequality?
1: Because wealth begets wealth, and um, if you don't have it, it's really hard to change anything. I, I want to um, lift up something um, our, our my co guest um, Faith brought up, um, and this is around special purpose credit programs and why I I think we all feel that there's an opportunity here. Um, Faith mentioned that um, maybe a year and a half ago um freddie and fannie or the 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 government-sponsored enterprises freddie and fannie um started to incorporate rental payments in their underwriting practices and why that is important so now when you're uh when they're considering are you eligible for a mortgage you can have that track record um um with you um and and so now and there have always been the, what these, what we call these special purpose credit programs that can be used for um, people who've been di- discriminated against or groups that have been discriminated against. But, but now you can actually expand these programs to include mortgages without using a down payment. And, and that's where um, um, racism discrimination really shows up for Black people, the lack of a down payment because our grandfather did not provide our grandfathers did not provide that intergenerational wealth transfer that came from owning a home which often came from federal policies that which black people were denied of getting so the the, the wealth gap is not by accident so in order to get more assets you have got to to, to create mechanisms so that people can actually own things. So, these special purpose credit programs for me are an opportunity. Bank of America announced earlier this year that they were going to um, expand these in five markets, but more banks can do more of this all around the country.
0: Are you seeing faith with these special credit programs? Uh, uh, you know, dramatic increase in Black folks who are uh, getting mortgages and buying
2: homes? I don't have the um, numbers to substantiate that, but I feel as though it's really, it's going to take some intentionality. And there are um, there is change going on right now. The Home Ownership Council of America is a national nonprofit that helps banks provide technical assistance to them if they want uh, to design an SPCP program for mortgage lending, and they've designed this actual certification trademark um, in conjunction with realtor.com that if, let's say if you were a first time um, home buyer, you can go on realtor.com's website and look for a lender that has this trademark. Or if you're looking for a lender, If you're shopping for a lender who you feel is going to be consumer friendly and offer a SPCP, you can look for this trademark. It's just like Energy Star for those looking for energy efficient um, appliances. But in this case, it's going to let that consumer know that this is a lender who has a special purpose credit program that will address perhaps some of the challenges that Dr. Perry was talking about. So I think in this time that we have to be intentional with designing tools that will really address the persistent barriers that um, buyers of color have faced. So great,
0: sounds like you both are on board. You think this, uh, you know, this credit uh, special credit programs offers some opportunities to get more Black folks into homes. Obviously, if you don't need a down payment, if they're taking into consideration things like your rental history, that's going to mean more people will qualify. But Dr. Perry, what we keep hearing over and over again about this generation of millennials, Gen Zs, how they are not, in many cases, able to purchase homes, that they have more student loan debt, Uh, or they have uh, high student loan debt that prohibits them from uh, getting into the housing market and that many of them will not do as well as their parents. What are you thinking about young folks graduating from college now and their prospect of home ownership?
1: Yeah, one of the bright spots during the pandemic is that we actually saw an increase in home ownership um, for millennials now, a lot of people will say, well, wh- how did that happen? And you, you mentioned an aspect of it. We started to free student loans. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also additional savings. People weren't going out and you know, buying things, particularly folks in, in central cities. Um, so you had greater savings. You had uh, effectively created higher um, debt income ratios or better debt income ratios, I should say. And so what we should learn from that is that, hey, let's figure out ways to cancel debt for African-Americans. Because, again, we
0: we just tried that, Dr. Perry. That didn't go over so well.
1: (laughs) Well, but we we tried it in in a specific way. Um, There's other way. What we did learn is that there's one way we cannot um, it cancel student debt but but also but we need to create new mortgage products and this was special purpose credit programs can do we can we may be able to create a bundle package that includes debt student debt cancellation and a new um uh, mortgage product so we just need to get creative um but I I would be remiss if I didn't say this so much of the home ownership issue is pinned on housing markets we also need to make sure wage inequality is is erased we need to make sure that tax assessments are are proper like there's an entire um ecosystem of things that need to happen we, n- homes will never be affordable if our wages aren't <laughs> where they need to be so um so yes housing needs to play its part but all these other sectors need to do th- to, to to do theirs if we're going to close these gaps.
0: Okay, you just mentioned, and you know, it's being somewhat facetious, tongue in cheek. But Biden did right. uh, through executive order try to uh, eliminate up to a certain amount ten thousand dollars student loan debt, and it was challenged, and you know, has not been able to move forward in the Supreme Court. So you say there are other ways to do that. What do you see as the other ways to do that?
1: Well, we are—we actually have already seen millions and uh, millions of borrowers, uh, their debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, their debt canceled because of um, many of the the uh, pernicious uh, colleges and universities that were essentially. Um, giving bogus degrees for the most part, those student loans canceled. We, we've seen student loans canceled for military folks and, and other um, um, individuals. So I think that the, the path forward will be, will instead of going sort of a, a mass blanket of debt cancellation, they're going to try to focus in on specific groups um, that can lay claim to why um, you um they they should have their debt canceled and and but this is a battle that's also going to occur in terms of medical debt and other things that are hindering home ownership
0: yeah when we come forward i want to talk about again I, i'm so worried about young people and all the reports about yeah how they are going to fare in this economy uh, with, as we talked about, wages, health care and housing. Uh, three uh, costs that can be incredibly exorbitant and make it difficult for young people to get into, even you know, break into uh, the housing market. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. I'm back, and I'm talking with Dr. Andre Perry, a senior fellow at Brookings Metro and Faith Weekly, a community development advisor at the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. So, Dr. Perry, I'm you know very interested in what's happening with millennials in the housing market, and I'm looking at an article that said that uh, increasingly investment companies and uh, you know real estate uh, you know investors are buying up what otherwise would be starter homes leaving millennials to buy more expensive first homes, that's creating issues and locking out a lot of millennials. Do you agree with that assessment?
1: Yeah, there are many of these sort of um, companies that essentially buy up large swaths of of property in particular neighborhoods um, because these homes are devalued. Remember that uh, my research shows that it's the share of the black population that lowers the value. So oftentimes companies um, uh, buy the properties um, and uh, and put in the investments and and sent uh, many other higher income uh, folks, whiter um, um, communities to those neighborhoods. And you see a rise in the property values almost overnight. Mm -hmm. And that economic pressure puts um, pushes out many um, lower income folks, and pushes out people who actually have have the income, but don't have the the product that don't have the home, the the low dollar amount home to purchase. So I, I do agree with this. There's a debate in um, in this uh, around this issue regarding how um how big of a problem this is i see it as a problem impacting black neighborhoods um because of the devaluation issues that uh, that we talked about
0: and faith what about some of these alternative homes is this really going to be a a strategy uh, la california in particular because of the growing uh, issue of homelessness they're looking at these uh, tiny homes, uh, ADUs, homes that are built in the back of, uh, say, a main house. They're thinking about changing zoning laws so that a neighborhood that has single family houses can now maybe have a fourplex or maybe even apartment buildings. Are are some of these alternatives the way to go in terms of, again, addressing some of these disparities? I think that
2: at the local level, localities do have to... Um, try to be more creative and innovative in addressing the housing shortage that's that's a crisis in and of itself there is an affordable housing crisis and there's not enough supply hey, what do you feel about
0: uh those yeah. alternatives dr perry is that going to close or get us closer in terms of you know this this widening wealth gap if black folks are gonna start living in tiny homes or you know, homes in the back of the, you know, the front house, they're in the back house. Are these alternatives a, a solution to this issue of housing inequality?
1: Well, as Faith mentioned, there are many problems going on at the same time. We have a density problem. The, one of the reasons why it's, it's um, harder to get affordable homes is because we aren't allowed to build more homes. Um, so there's limited supply, limited supply people. Um, the the homes the housing becomes more expensive, and so we do need to change zoning laws that are rooted in discrimination. We know that many of the zoning laws that were enacted in the early parts of the twentieth century um, was instituted to keep black people out and to, to 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 do the same thing that they do now to to not allow for more units in an area. So that is that is part of a solution. It is not the whole solution. We also need to have the funding to create the supply. We also need the income so people can the purchase homes. Um, we also need the mortgage products that we don't have. We And we may need new forms of ownership. We, we see community land trusts where there's sort of a shared Um, sense of ownership, a co-op model, um, models in which you can own the property and not the land. Um, But um, so there there just needs to be a suite of new ideas um, that address a multifaceted problem um, that um, manifests itself in a home ownership and a wealth gap.
0: So faith obviously the Federal Reserve Bank is uh, has been raising interest rates to address or try to arrest uh, inflation to prevent there from being widespread inflation. But we know as they are raising these rates again that's impacting mortgage rates. So what happens to this income or this housing inequality in these periods where we see these
2: raise you know these rising interest rates? Well, it definitely has a greater impact on um, people of color um, you know the higher your the rate the the less home you can afford so localities might have to um, allocate more money to down payment assistance mm-hmm. um, It's really as Dr. Perry emphasized, it really it's no silver bullet. It will take really comprehensive and a multifaceted um, approach to really close or to narrow the racial home ownership gap.
0: So when I think about that, Dr. Perry, that's kind of depressing because we know this country doesn't do comprehensive very well. Definitely doesn't do comprehensive well when it comes to the black community and addressing because we started this conversation talking about what impacts the valuation of black homes, everything from uh, the investments that are made in a particular neighborhood. And so, you know, who should we be looking to in terms of that happening? Depending on who's in office in the White House, you know, there's more of an appetite for this than, than not Uh Private uh, companies that we saw step up after George Floyd's murder in 2020 seem to have retrenched. So uh, what realistically over the next five, 10 years can we look to, if anything, that might have a significant impact? Uh, And again, I'm really interested in this wealth gap because, again, as you said, home ownership is the way that... Many people build that intergenerational wealth. So if I don't have a home uh, to pull out equity to send my kids to college or to help my kids start that first business, then they are automatically disadvantaged.
1: Well, since 2020, I think you've seen a greater appetite for people to mobilize and organize around specific issues and that's what is ultimately going to take. I mean, this is a power issue that um, in order for us to get the kind of structural changes, people will need to rally for the policies that they need and there's no way um to 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 get around that that and and, and we, we're seeing it in the labor movements.'re we're, we're seeing it in um, the racial re- reckoning. We're also going to need to see it in housing and 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 one other thing I just want to make a point and this might sound antithetical, to in improving housing, we also need to have other forms of, of wealth building that are not about home ownership. Um, you, you you may have on other programs talk about baby bonds, this idea where someone um, where every American gets a savings account at birth, and the federal government pours some money into it. Uh, my colleague, Derek Hamilton of the New School talks about this a lot. But the point being, is that um, wealth stemming from home ownership is not growing at the rate of other forms of wealth building, the rate of the Now, capital-
0: is that because, why is that? That's an interesting point you just made.
1: Oh man, I mean, tax code changes have a lot to do with that. We've we've created tax advantage programs essentially for the wealthy that they can build upon their capital. So that's
0: well, what real, I- let me let me stop you right there, real quickly, because we're going to run out of time. But I do want you to answer this. There are people, investment types, financial types that say that home ownership is not uh, an asset that you should look
1: to to build wealth. Do you agree with that? I don't agree with that. This is one way to do that. there's You should have a portfolio, a diversified portfolio, including retirement savings, home ownership, business ownership, and let me bring up some commercial real estate ownership. There's other things that you need to, So, but to put all of our eggs in one basket, you know what will happen? A housing crisis. This happened in 2017, 50% of black wealth evaporated. And so we need to to expand our wealth building options um, to protect ourselves and just to deal with the realities that homeownership, particularly in some markets, won't provide the yields as they did in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s.
0: Right. Okay. good point. Just, you know, if you turn on your social media accounts, there are oftentimes people, some more experienced than others who are telling folks, uh, not to buy homes, that, that home ownership is not a good investment. And I I was curious to get your take on that, given all of your experience. We are out of time. Such a great conversation. Always a pleasure uh, to have you in conversation, Dr. Uh, Perry. And a pleasure having you as well, Faith. Uh, The conversation we're going to continue to have. Obviously, this issue, this problem is not going anywhere. Again, thank you for your time and your expertise on this issue. Next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers and the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580.